0: It's the big one. The Sky Half Price Sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters or grab Sky Broadband ultrafast for lightning fast speeds. Choose one that suits you. They're all half price for six months. Save big in the Sky Half Price Sale search sky half price availability subject to location tv and broadband products sold separately for more info see sky.ie forward slash speeds Setup up fees min terms and further terms apply offer end 2nd of september what would you do if you were wronged but couldn't explain why what if you knew that your lack of an explanation would lead to death what if you couldn't explain it because you didn't know why something had happened or how you were definitely not involved What if you were simply the victim of being in the wrong place at the wrong time? What could it cost you? It's the life of an Irish woman which answers these questions for us. This is her story. Across the shipyards of Ireland in the 1650s, we saw mass immigration of the people. The force pushing their immigration was not one which we are all too familiar with today. The push did not come from financial burdens, nor was it caused by the potential to better oneself abroad. It wasn't even caused by a sense of adventure. You see, at the time, Ireland had been crippled under the ruling weight of Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell, a man whose life focused on the growth of the British Empire, did not view the Irish people as human. They were simply creatures who were speed bumps in his pursuit of greatness. He had very little consideration or use for the Irish as a people, but he did see one use, that being our ability to be shackled under his will. Being not much more use than playthings to him, Cromwell decided that the best use for the Irish was to round them up and to populate the British occupation of the Americas. As they crossed the plains of the New World, leaving behind them streams of the blood of the natives, they also left behind them the Irish people taken there against their will in order to have them farm the lands and be the gears of the production line stripping the new world of its natural resources. The Irish had two options when it came to their involvement in this strategy. They could go along with Cromwell's plan or find their necks under the swinging sword of a British lawkeeper in Ireland. One of the victims of this forced migration was a woman called Anne Glover. Anne's life began totally unremarkably. The date and place of her birth were unrecorded, as in Ireland at the time, unless you were a person of note, you were not noted. Anne and her husband found themselves in one of these ships destined for the new world. Shackled in the belly of a boat, neither knew where they were going or how long it would take to get there. As they travelled the near three month journey, they watched as their neighbours and friends would have to go to the toilet standing up next to one another, with their hands tied to the roof. They watched disease spread through the ship's belly and claim victim after victim. They prayed for their friends as starvation would claim one after another. The two found themselves landing in Barbados when the boat carrying them stopped. Here they worked on a sugar plantation. Being pale skinned from the land of eternal winter, the heat, humidity and the sun was instantly an issue for them. Their skin would burn, blister and burst on a daily basis and with no protection they experienced the closest thing to melting a human could live through. Beatings were a daily occurrence. Three lashes of the whip if they did not bring enough sugar in after a day's work in the belting sun. Five lashes for back chat. Ten for showing the ability to be human and expressing an opinion. Days would go by as the Irish worked the fields, shifting their standing position to allow their skin to take a break from the sun and to allow their cuts from the whip to heal momentarily. Bloody sunburnt backs were a common sight in the fields. The two had a daughter while on the plantation. It was at this time that the Catholic Irish were forced to change their religion to Protestantism, as was now the law by the British ruling class. Anne's husband was brought out in front of the workers' house with the other Irishmen. Statues of the Virgin Mary were placed in front of them and they were asked to break them. With the Protestant lords not believing in Mary as a sacred being, to do this would indicate that the Irish were now loyal to their version of the same God. He, along with others, refused, willing to take their chances with their own God. They were tied by the legs to the saddle of a horse and dragged across the island until they were so torn and beaten by being dragged over the hot stony earth that death came as a welcome visitor. Anne was left heartbroken and feared for the safety of herself and her daughter. In 1680 word began to spread across the plantations that boats were taking the Irish to a community in Boston where they would be safe from their masters. Through the Irish network of spies and shadow talkers, Anne and her daughter Mary soon found themselves at sea once again, this time to a destination of their choice. They landed and Anne managed to get herself a job as a washerwoman on a Massachusetts colony. Here she worked for an up-and-coming American family known as the Goodwins. Things began to look up for Anne and Mary. She worked here for eight years and earned a modest living much more than she would have earned back in Ireland. She remarkably managed to make enough money as a single mother at the time to support both herself and her daughter. Things weren't always easy for them, but they got by. In 1688, however, things began to take a sinister turn for Anne. Martha Goodwin, the 13-year-old daughter of Anne's boss, John, accused Mary of having stolen laundry from the house. When Anne heard what she was saying, she ferociously confronted Martha, and the other Goodwin children. As she tongue-lashed the children, she stood back and rose her hands over them, and roared in a language strange to the children, pointing at each of them. Had you or I been there, we may have recognised it as Irish. Normally, this would cause a reaction from the father of the children but it wasn't the nature of her anger and her confrontation of his children that led him to worry about Anne's presence in his home. It's what came next. First it was Martha. She began seeing things. I don't mean moving shadows. I mean demons, fairies and the people of the other world. She would wake during the night screaming of monsters in her room, demons in her brain and animal-like creatures breathing on her. She then stopped sleeping altogether. Her hair began to fall out, her skin turned grey, and her eyes lost all colour. After a week or so, she lost the ability to speak anything but rambling nonsense. The other Goodwin children's mental well-being followed a similar path in the days which passed since their schooling for man. A doctor was sought. After careful examination, he declared witchcraft had occurred and the children's souls had been devoured by the devil. The only explanation for what had happened was that the children had been bewitched. Anne was arrested immediately. Mary was left on the streets to fend for herself. Anne was taken away and tried for witchcraft. Her peers in the jury were entirely convinced that this woman spoke the tongue of the devil. When asked a question, she responded in a language they had never heard. It was Irish, the only language she knew fluently, and the only language she could defend herself in. As she grew more and more frustrated, she became visibly angry. The angrier she got, the more they were convinced that she was doing the devil's bidding. No way a woman could be this aggressive, they thought. It would be more proper of her if she was docile as all good women in their eyes. Anne was able to understand English from her time in Barbados, but she could not properly speak it. While awaiting sentencing, Anne was asked to speak. As she spoke, a man watching in the gallery stood up and shouted, stop. This woman is not speaking in tongues. She is speaking in her native tongue. This is Irish. The man's own father was Irish and he too could only speak the language, teaching his son what he was able to. Her leading accuser was the Reverend Cotton Matter. The court could have no answer from her but in the Irish which was her native language. The Reverend, being of the same religion and dogma of Cromwell, saw the Irish to be a ghastly people. He publicly described Anne as a scandalous old Irish woman, very poor, a Roman Catholic, and obstinate and idolatry. To prove her innocence, Anne was told she would have to say the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Doing so would prove she had no connection with the devil, as no witch would be able to mutter these words. Anne said the prayer without any issue, except one. She said it in Irish. Reverend Mather demanded that she do it in English. Anne did not know it in English, she had never learnt it in English. She grabbed his coat and fell to her knees, begging him for her life. He told her, you'll burn, you Irish witch, just like we should have done to the rest of you lot. She continued to beg. She then did something which amazed the onlookers. She said the Our Father, but in Latin. They all recognised it as the prayer in Latin. No way the Devil Spawn could say these words in Latin without bursting into flames, they each thought. Aha, a trick of the Devil, the Reverend told the crowd. Now she can miraculously say the words of our Lord, but before she couldn't. She has clearly placed a spell on us all. Anne's house was searched for more evidence of her devotion to the devil. In her room they found some small dolls and artefacts, witchery-looking things. One was a shield in the gig a figurative carving of a naked woman displaying an exaggerated vulva, an Irish artefact which demonstrated the power of women and protection against evil spirits. They also found a St. Bridget's Cross, Her explanations were not taken into account as she tried to describe them to her translator. The Reverend saw them as pagan ritual artifacts. Five of the six physicians who examined her found her to be competent and said that she did not show any signs of interaction with the devil. Anne was also accused of having prayed to different spirits. These were simply the other saints of the Catholic faith which the court did not recognise. Anne was found guilty of witchcraft and was sentenced to hang. On November 16th, 1688, Anne was hanged in Boston and made mocking shouts from the crowd. It was a big day out for the people of Boston. The streets were filled with those hoping to see the witch hang. Food stalls were set up. Beer was sold and memorabilia was available too. It was a festival of death. Before Anne was hung, she was asked if she had any last words. She responded, Killing me will not save the children, the real witch is out there laughing. A Boston merchant who knew her, Robert Califf, said that Goody Glover was a despised, crazy, poor old woman an Irish Catholic who was tried for afflicting the Goodwin children. Her behaviour at the trial was like that of one distracted. They did her cruel. The proof against her was wholly deficient. The jury brought her guilty. She was hung. She died a Catholic. Anne was the last person in Boston to be executed for witchcraft. As for her daughter Mary, she had a mental breakdown at the sight of her mother hanging. It is said that she ended her days a raving maniac. She later reappears in history, but was better known as Mary Glover, the Irish Catholic witch. That however, is a story for a different day. You might also be wondering, but if Anne wasn't a witch, then what happened to the Goodwin children? Well, around the time of Anne's arrest, there was a lot of witch accusations in the Boston area, and in Salem in particular. In combat against the white man, the Native Americans had placed peyote into the water supply of the lord's houses in the area, the Goodwins being one of them. This formed a cocktail and a psychopharmaceutical drug chemical substance that changes brain function and results in altercations in perception, mood, consciousness, cognition and behaviour, and also increasing one's metabolism. It usually affected the children first, and then the adults. Today's music was written, produced and performed by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. This episode was researched and scripted by Oren. If you like this episode and want to support the podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash We The Irish. We The Irish is an Iron Loves production. Ryan is an of Mahagut, maith